Welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Uh, last episode, we reviewed issue number 18 called If Iceman Should Fail, uh, where we saw a wounded Iceman hold off Magneto just long enough for the X-Men to escape a ridiculous death trap weather balloon in space. Uh, I don't know what Magneto was thinking. Uh, then Magneto tried a crazy cloning plot using the DNA of Angel's parents to create a race of mutant cyborg slaves for himself. Of course, that got nixed as well. Uh, Professor X shot his mind across space and summoned the stranger who chased Magneto away. Uh, and everyone was, uh, was all better and back to status quo at the end. Uh, ridiculous, but amazing at the same time, as all of these issues are. Uh, this week we're going to be reviewing issue number 19, which is called Lo Now Shall Appear the Mimic, which is so Shakespearean or biblical as far as phrasing goes. Uh, we are thrilled, or I am thrilled. Uh, Heather's here with me again. Hi, Heather. Hi. <laughs> uh, we're thrilled to have the hosts of uh, X Reads, uh, Chandler Poling and Chris Riley. Uh, okay to use your last names on here? Sure, yeah, yeah totally. totally. It's all over social media, so <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, so happy to have you guys here. So uh, let's have you introduce yourselves. We'll go uh, Chandler, Chris, Heather in that order. Let us know what your gender pronouns are. Uh, tell us a little bit about the work you're doing. And then the question we're asking to begin today, uh, name some supporting or even obscure X-Men characters, non-mutants, uh, who are some of your favorites across time and uh, why are they? Uh, so uh, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So this is Chandler. Uh, pronouns are he, him, his, though I will answer to hey, girl, hey. And um, I am a publicist. I run a PR firm in Los Angeles specializing in promoting composers and songwriters and record labels in the film, TV, video game genres. And my kind of obscure, I, re I read your question wrong, but I can quickly jump in. I was thinking of a mutant non-essential ally but a non-mutant ally i would say corsair is my favorite because he is amazing and i love the star jammers and i would just say corsair is my absolute favorite non-mutant x-men supporting cast member for those not in the know uh heather probably corsair is cyclops's super hot like space pirate dad he's he's kind of fantastic i love that so much <laughs> <laughs> And my answer for the mutant, by the way, was Artie and Leech are my favorite Aww. obscure um, mutant char side characters because they are both non-human presenting mutants that are kids. I think they're forever kids, it seems like. And they have formed an inseparable bond because they just adore each other so much and they connected over the fact that they both don't look human and that they just become really good friends. And I, and I love Artie and Leech. One is pink and lumpy and the other is green and lumpy and they're so cute. <laughs> yeah, it was through the, the Generation X comics that really got me to love them because they lived in the biodome with the team. And yeah, they just had wonderful little side adventures alongside Generation X. But of course, Exterminators and all of the other side stories that they're in. But uh, yeah, Artie and Leech and Corsair. Chris? Fantastic. Yeah, well, I'm Chris Riley. I am the co-host of X Read the Podcast. And I would go, uh, I guess I am a gay male. My pronouns are he, him, his. Uh, the question, uh, the answer to the question of which 
ally of the X-Men that's a non-mutant that I love the most is Alessandre Stewart, who is from WHO, which stands for the... Weird Happenings Organization. That's correct. And I just think she's a badass. Like, she swoops in and she, you know, takes care of business like James Bond. So... You know, we read a lot of the uh, older issues, the vintage comics, and right now we're in the, we've been bopping around in the Claremont run and and dipping our toes into Excalibur recently. So she, she's been making an appearances in the comic books that we've been covering. Um, so Alessandra Stewart. And, and, she's then, a, and she has a really cute twin brother. Yes. Mm-hmm. Alistair. Mm-hmm. Um, so the... I guess the obscure mutant that I kind of love, I have a couple of them. One is Tarot from the Hellions because I, I love Tarot. It's kind of one of my side hobbies. I collect decks. So, you know, it's really cool to see a character whose superpower is Tarot cards. Um, and then also Dupe. Yeah, I know. He's like, he looks like Slimer. And then all of a sudden I saw him on the cover of Static X and I was just like, who is this X-Men? He looks like he came out of Ghostbusters. Uh, so, yeah, I guess those are the side characters that I love. Did yeah, I get all I, the questions? Was I there one so. more? Okay, good. I think so. Okay. And Heather. Uh, I'm Heather. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I mean, I'm not as well versed in the X Men universe at any point, but um, I am a big fan of the beatniks at the coffee shop. I know that technically Bernard is a mutant, but he, we don't know that for a while. And so <laughs> I, but I also like Zelda. Um, and I also like all the beatniks who are obsessed with the beast's feet because that just makes me laugh. <laughs> so that would have to be my answer to the question. <laughs> I love that answer so much. Uh, my name is Chad Anderson, he, him, his. Uh, and the reason I ask this question is we get to meet one of my favorite obscure side characters uh, who is Vera Cantor. Uh, we'll talk about her in a little while, but she's, I like her uh, too. <laughs> she's kind of this side bit character who shows up once every few years. And I, and I kind of love her. I, I, I have a, a big fondness for Trish Tilby as well. Uh, both of these women have dated the beast and that is just a chore. I don't know what they need better taste in men, but they're great characters. Um, I also have a huge fondness for Lilandra uh, uh, and Stevie Hunter and Gabrielle Haller. There's, there's so many great, uh, or Lee Forrester. There's a lot of great female side characters over the years. Uh, and I have too many obscure favorite mutants to cover, but we'll talk about some of them today. Uh, so today we're going to be reviewing uh, X-Men number 19. Uh, before we do that, uh, uh, will you guys tell us a little bit about X-Reads and what you guys are doing there? It's so much fun. When I was considering podcasting, I was listening to a lot of the podcasts available out there. And you guys had so much, so much fun just reviewing. Uh, and it's like full of laughs and smiles every episode. It's, it's a blast to listen to. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing on X-Reads. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much. Glad you like the show. And yeah, what we do is we cover uh, yeah vintage issues of X-Men, primarily from late 70s, 80s, early 90s, Claremont era, for those that know what that means. Um, and we cover 
Excalibur, uh, Uncanny X-Men, but we, we also jump into the present. It depends. Um, what we do, we, we cover the issue cover to cover, including the ads of the era. We essentially recap and give our thoughts on what's going on. And we occasionally have incredible guests that join us. Yeah. Like the different voice actors from the different, uh, amazing animated series, the, uh, actors from the TV shows, the movies, um, creators, artists, creators of other properties. Like, um, we had the creator of Avatar, the Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Karen David from Fear the Walking Dead was a guest. We had uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, um, incredible artist from New Mutants. Yeah, like Fabian Utiates, uh, mm-hmm. uh Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we have an amazing time and they choose issues that they uh, love and that has impacted their lives and their creativity as creators and artists. Uh, so it's really special to be able to delve into something that they cherished as well. I am a longtime Marvel nerd. I've read everything for years and years, and I did not know how to pronounce Sinkevitz or Nietzsche. So I'm so, like, I just learned something new. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, you guys also did really fun coverage of the Hellfire Gala uh, and made it this giant event online, which was uh, which was just a blast. So anyway, such a privilege to have you here today. Uh, today we're reviewing uh, X-Men number nine, uh, we, uh, we get a little bit, uh, critical and saucy on here from time to time, which is absolutely okay, but we always delve back to the continuity. Let's begin with just our coverage, uh, or our, our initial thoughts about the cover of, uh, issue number 19. Uh, what is, uh, what are some of your preliminary reactions as you look at the cover? I would love those sunglasses that Mimic's wearing. He's got these incredible double triangle, like, sunglasses, which are so of that kind of 60s mod era. And I just, I, I think they're so cool. They also kind of remind me of ski goggles, but still, I, I they're the, what, what screams to me of that era of sci-fi. Absolutely. Uh, I am not a fan of Mimic's fashion, which we will talk about. The color scheme, the giant M on his chest. But I, uh, I as a fan, looking at like, whoa, this character's got like, powers that the X-Men have. You can see Beast's feet and Angel's wings and Cyclops' visor and the ice bridge. Uh, and it's it's kind of exciting when you consider what's about to come. Uh, other reactions? I don't know how his whole body weight is supported on that tiny icicle that he's standing on. <laughs> it's like a telephone wire, right? Maybe he's, maybe he's telekinetically holding it up because he's also <laughs> got means powers. We just can't see them. <laughs> it's an interesting choice. Also, is this, I guess this is New York City, and that must be the river behind them, but I just was like, what oceanside city are they standing above? <laughs> uh, we also get the tagline, is the mimic another mutant or something far worse? Uh, <laughs> as of this issue, he is not a mutant, but current continuity in uh, House of X stated that he is a mutant. So Professor X has recently revealed that he's actually among the mutants. Over the years, they say over and over, he's not. But I think the predominant theory now is that he is a mutant and whatever the experiment, we'll talk about that in this issue, uh, unleashed his mutant powers. So Interesting. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I wouldn't have thought that based on this issue, but I'm excited to learn more. Uh, Mimic reminds me of, uh, in the, you guys do the ads on your show a lot. He reminds me of the 90s ad for Pizza Hut where they advertised a character called Combo Man. Uh, do you guys remember Combo Man? It's like think... Cyclops' eyes and Hulk's face and Storm's shoulders. Like, oh, yes. It's just like a stacked character with different, I don't know. He makes me think of that a little bit here. 
I'll post an image on social media. That's uh that's a real obscure reference. Totally. <laughs> He he make he reminds me of my uh favorite 50 cent word that we learned from an issue from the 80s. That's one of my word kryptonites. Let's see if I get it right this time. Amalgaram. No. Damn it. <laughs> Amal- Damn it. Amalgam. Amalgam. <laughs> my word kryptonites. <laughs> amalgam is like, like an algorithm and an amalgam mixed together. <laughs> yes. No, we yeah, we we totally stumbled on that word when we were learning what that meant. I think we kept on saying, uh, yeah, amalgam or something weird, but no, amalgam, amalgam. (laughs) Marvel and DC had like an amalgam universe in the late 90s. Do you guys remember that? They uh, they, like mishmashed all their characters together with Marvel and DC and did a bunch of one shots. I I remember when they fought, like when the teams fought each other, but they they actually mashed them together. Yeah, I think the series was called Access. There was this bizarre character that could go between the universes, and it was right after, uh, right after that event where they kind of fought each other. Uh, I'll have to go back and look. We'll post some images as well. But yeah, there's a there's a whole set of like you'll get like Batman mixed with Wolverine, uh, and there's a whole like issue about him, and then a bunch of side comics, and all the villains are mashed together. It was it was kind of a fun, but poorly written event in the late '90s. I kind of remember this. I may have some of these issues and I'm recalling all the women having huge hair because in that era, everybody had the huge curly tease to the God's hair. Am I right? I believe so. It was, it was called the amalgam universe. Uh, but I literally cannot remember the name of a single combo character. Um, <laughs> I, I remember there were a lot, but yeah, it was right after Marvel versus DC where all the fans had like vote on who they wanted to win between you know, Namor and Aquaman, and there was all these like pitched battles. Uh, and then it resulted in this brief amalgam universe with characters that will never be seen again and should not be. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump into issue uh, number 19. Heather, do you want to open for us on page one? Sure. So they are, is it the danger room this time? I, it, it looks like they're back in the danger room. It's yeah. just all pink now. Yeah, they're back in the danger room and they're all training. Um, Iceman throwing some long ice sticks because that's his thing. <laughs> Iceman loves a phallic ice construction. That's, yes. He enjoys those very much. And Angel's flying around and Beast is doing some circus act that looks like something you'd see a seal doing. <laughs> While saying, um, while saying, if I were a mere anthrop- anthropoid, I'd be receiving a tumultuous ovation by now. Oh, God, his yeah. word. <laughs> and Marvel Girl is levitating herself while she's reading a comic, it looks like, um, without touching it. And Cyclops is watching it all happen because he's the deputy trainer. <laughs> It's Marvel. kind of a little assaulting for Marvel Girl because they're all doing like physical feats and she's like, I'm reading. Like, <laughs> it seems very much like we can't see her get her hands dirty. But also we looked up because if you zoom in, it's an actual magazine called Monsters Unlimited. It's for real, you guys. And we found the actual issue. It's Monsters Unlimited number six by Stan Lee. And there's a creature on the cover and it says, Mabel... It's time we found a new laundry, and he's got he's got a shirt all ripped off and everything. Yeah, he kind of looks like I don't know a Planet of the Apes type monster. Yeah, yeah. 
But it's a for real thing, you guys. Yeah. You guys just matched me nerd for nerd. I was just going to bring that up, and I love it. So <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that, we, we dive into these issues. Yeah, we love to find those moments. Sorry, we stole thunder. Oh, no, no I, 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 gotta, I, I love it so much. My favorite thing is onomatopoeias, and I just love to point it out, especially when they're juicy. And the ice javelins that uh, Iceman is throwing, they go, thwang. <laughs> As every tossed ice javelin should. Uh, I love that Jean is reading not like a romance novel or something, but we get like her reading a monster comic, which is kind of my favorite thing on this page. Uh, so a couple of things about this issue as we jump in that make it really unique, actually. This is Stanley and Jack Kirby's final issue of X-Men, like oh. ever, except for maybe like a backup story somewhere. We have uh, Roy Thomas and Jay Gavin taking over. Jay Gavin is a pen name for Warner Roth. Uh, so we have like a, the first big creative team change and the stories do improve, although they stay very, very wordy and problematic. <laughs> but I, 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 I uh, we, we've seen the X-Men all built up, but we're about to have a big change. This is also the, uh, the first time Iceman's real name is revealed as Robert Drake in this issue. Oh. Which is kind of surprising that we're 19 issues in and did not know his full name yet. Uh, so we've got Cyclops back in charge of training. Uh, let's jump to page two and just talk about Iceman and Angel here. Uh, we know now that Iceman is uh, is a closeted gay male, and we also know that he had a major crush on Angel back then. So as you read these panels, knowing about this unrequited closeted crush, it makes it somehow adorable and tragic at the same time. Uh, who wants to talk about Iceman and Angel's interaction here? Well, yeah, I mean, they're super flirty in the sense of like, Iceman definitely um, had just has language that basically I could tell he's very, very flirty and wants to get close and kind of trying to get Angel's attention all the time. He, he literally frosts up another ice javelin and threatens to tickle Angel with his ice toothpick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if you're into that, but oh, he just needs some attention. It's hard to be closeted. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys ever have unrequited uh crushes on straight boys like when you were 16 of course yeah, yeah. all the time high school <laughs> was all about having crushes on straight boys and but the worst is when they were super nice back to you yeah and you're like confusing. does he doesn't he does he doesn't he <laughs> but also i have to pretend that i don't actually have a crush because then right. i'll be exposed yes exactly <laughs> oh yes oh my gosh I, I just remember having a lot of emotions about that at that time <laughs> and cyclops is being a literal cock blocker as he destroys ice man's <laughs> toothpick and says get out of here <laughs> there will be no more antics uh, oh, oh, bossy Cyclops. Mm-hmm. Um, Beast is bouncing around on one hand, trying to show off on kind of a dangerous course. Uh, and he is so obnoxious. Uh, and we see him kind of flipping around some s- barrels or stones get tossed up and he catches them with his feet. And this almost reminds me of like old cartoons where you'd see like a, an arrow that goes awry and it's like zooming all over the place and almost hitting all the characters, right? Like. The uh, the the little the little bag or barrels I don't I don't even know what that is it's like a punching bag it's like almost hitting everybody in the face messing them all up uh, I think he did it on purpose. Mm. Mm. It's very possible. Are you are you guys Beast fans? No, not really. <laughs> Do you like old Beast or just no Beast? 
I like Beast from the animated series. You know, I, he was George. I, uh, he was voiced by George Buza, who did an amazing performance of this character. Um, and as far as him in the comic books, like he's kind of a mean guy. I I like Beast now more like currently in comics more than ever because he's very interesting and has this kind of evil streak going on with current day comics but um he's but like a mastermind yeah but i don't i mean i don't like him i just like where they're going with this character because at least it's super interesting to me but i will say that in this era and moving forward i thought he was more interesting than angel i thought angel was super boring <laughs> and just like really one-dimensional like at least beast had like layers of especially after he turned blue but he even then he had layers of having body dysmorphia because of his big feet and like uh, how he relates to people and everything like that and angel was just arrogant the whole time and and i just wasn't having it just a couple of episodes ago we reviewed his origin which was not much but he uh it kind of it kind of tells us the reason he chose the name the beast was because he used to get called a beast on the football field because he was so talented and so now I'm kind of just seeing him as like the straight jock who peaked in high school, but he still talks about all of his like college or all of his football victories for the rest of his life while he's being misogynistic and awful. Uh, so I, that, that's kind of my viewpoint for the beast, even though he's super brilliant and amazing. It's uh, that's, that's kind of shaped my view of him as we move forward with this series. Heather, we know you're not a, a huge beast fan. No, but that's okay. I like him better than I like Xavier. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't we all? <laughs> we do get a good close-up of Beast's thump, though. It's uh, yeah. it's 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 his booty and his feet. He's doing he's doing the some leg press, mm -hmm. and, it, yeah. and, it says, and it says thump. There it is. <laughs> uh, so we're following a trend that we got a couple issues ago where Professor X is sending all the teens out on a vacation which mostly just means I'm giving you like six hours off <laughs> he makes a big production of it like he's doing them a huge ass favor they're teenagers that you know give them a Saturday once in a while but they are all thrilled uh, and uh, planning on going their separate ways uh, who wants to tell us about Iceman and uh, Beast's uh, little adventure at the library well, before that, I just I like how basically they're they're all so like written in a way that is their of their archetype because you know the boys are like oh yeah we get to go be with girls and Jean is just like, like I get to, I get go, to go shopping, shopping. <laughs> get to go get new clothes and and when they when Iceman ices them out of there she's just what does she say she says if any ice melts on the floor I'm not mopping it up Bobby Drake. <laughs> why would she be the one to bop it up yeah do they like make because her she always like... is so rude there's an, issue, there's an issue where the cook has the days has the day off so gene like substitutes for the cook in the kitchen or when all the boys are in the infirmary and she's nursing everyone so she mm. definitely would have been the one to clean that up and and beast says to her when my mother used to be my nurse she used to kiss me and Jean's like, mm, that ain't happening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of the the unfortunate origins of Jean because it, she kind of got stuck with that personalityless. I am the girl, so therefore I do girl things. And you know, Heather, as you get deeper into X Men comics, you will either become somebody that's obsessed with Jean or somebody that's really bored with Jean. I feel like there's no in between. <laughs> <laughs> well. 
currently I might be a little bit biased, but I do love her. Oh, well, good. I love that. <laughs> you will, you will love her when you get to X-Men 99 because she makes this incredible uh, moment and, and next into X-Men 100. And, and she's just like, she's so cool in those issues. I was like, Whoa. And anyways, you'll get, when you get there. You only have to wait for like 15 years of publication history and then you'll sort of start to like it. Yes. Well, thankfully you guys can skip a big number, right? Because when does this end? And then they do work it? We're actually going only up to 66 on this podcast. We're just doing the original run. uh, And and then we're we're ending there. But but I'll make sure Heather has access to 99. It's good. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, okay, sure. Yeah, Chris, why don't you say what's going on with Bobby and, and Beast? Oh, well, uh, <laughs> okay, so now they're going to go on a on a double date here. And Beast has been set up on a blind date. So he does not know who this woman is upon entering this library. And it's kind of, you know, interesting how they're dressed. He's in a blue suit and Beast... Iceman is in a blue suit and Beast is in a green suit and they look pretty dapper if I do say so myself. Although again, coloring in mine, Beast is in blue and Bobby's in brown. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Marvel Unlimited has them in, as Chris said, in blue and green. What I found super fascinating is is Beast's body shrinks when he's in his suit. (laughs) He's super thick in the X-Men uniform, but the second he puts on a suit, he's, he's almost as slim as Bobby. And I do not understand how that happens. Also, I would love whatever secret that is because I would love to fit in my suits like that. You know how you know how Nightcrawler carries that image inducer that makes him look human. I'm just assuming he's using that. He's just got his little holographic disguise on. <laughs> so uh, Bobby and uh, Beast are they're looking around the library and they're trying to find Zelda, who is Bobby's date. And they can't find her, so he says something that I find problematic. <laughs> He's all like, Zelda's not here yet. We might as well case the other chicks. It's like, wait a minute, you're on a date. <laughs> like, that's so rude. But, you know, he they end up seeing um, behind the counter a librarian who's, I think she's super cute. She's got this, like, pixie cut, I would say. She's wearing a pink top, although in your comic, is she wearing a pink top? Green in mine. Oh wow. wow! It's like a whole like it looks different really universe. Cute pink. <laughs> a parallel um, reality where the colors of the clothes are there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Beast and this woman they exchange words, and you know they're kind of he's kind of rude. Let's just be honest, right? Or am I am I hitting the mark here? He's he's being rude. Well, because well, she she's like goes at him for looking at preschool books. She's being very judgmental of his book taste. And he's like, excuse me, madam, this is America. And I can read whatever <laughs> book I want. Well, I I guess she's kind of rude. I, you know, like they're, maybe, they're, they're saucy together. They're saucy. How about that? This is the start of their relationship is the saucy banter. Um, what was your take on the Vera, Vera Hank exchange? I, I mean, Yes, she was a little bit rude, but I always applaud when a woman can stand up to Hank McCoy because he's real misogynistic at all times. <laughs> I mean, he even says, I'm finding the company of females somewhat trying, which... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, like rude. <laughs> and when and when Bobby says they're scoping out the other chicks, for again, closeted boy, right? Like I feel like he's just trying real hard to prove how heterosexual he is in this environment. Oh yeah, I, I knew many uh, quote unquote straight guys that overdid it, you know, before they came out. Like, oh yeah, the chicks, bro. And it's just like, um, it's okay. In due time, we're we're all patient. What happens? Uh, what happens when Zelda arrives? <laughs> well, I love how um, she says she calls Bobby. She goes, "I'm right here, Natch." And I want to know why. What is what does a term of endearment Natch mean? No, what, it's what like naturally. Natch? I think it's, it's Oh. oh my god can we bring it back oh my god that i want to i love it because it's in so retro nobody even knows you oh my god bring, but so notch you can bring that back natch <laughs> so yeah zelda walks in and she's just like oh this is why i wanted me in the library because this is beast blind date vera and Beast blushes a deep, deep hue because then Vera says, "Do you always blush that way, Mr. McCoy?" <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna do a, a continuity deep dive for just a minute. Vera Cantor is a character that will disappear for a few years at a time and then come back for a while and then disappear again. She's got a surprising history. Uh, we're gonna learn more about her connection to Mimic in just a minute, but she's been both romantically connected to the Beast and Mimic over the years. There's even an alternate future that Mimic sees once in which he's married to Vera and has a baby. Uh, it's just like a, a, a one panel future that he witnesses. Um, she shows up in X Factor. She shows up in the Defenders when the Beast is there. Uh, probably the craziest thing that's ever happened to her. She gets a cool punk rock look in X Factor for a while, which is fun. Uh, in Avengers number 209, during the time when Beast was a member of the Avengers, she is visiting him and there's a scroll that attacks and she gets like poisoned and put into kind of like a living death coma. And the Beast goes on this quest to retrieve this gem that will revive her, but it doesn't work. And so she stays that way for a long time. So uh, one of the casualties of, of superhero comics, right? You always kill off the girlfriend or get them kidnapped or put them in some place where they have to be rescued. Uh, eventually, randomly in the Defender, she gets healed by the son of Satan or Damon Hellstrom. Uh, and then she's uh, she's around with Beast for a long time, even when he's blue and furry, a, a lot of that. Um, <clears throat> I think the last time we saw her was in the early 90s. She gets hypnotized by Mesmero in kind of a random issue. Uh, but I kind of love this character. She she shows up frequently and has this kind of weird connection. And she's always sassy and always intelligent and always uh, kind of putting Beast in his place. Uh, she she has a much more lengthy comics history than Zelda Kurtzberg does. Uh, Bobby's girlfriend Zelda doesn't show up much beyond this original run of X Men. But but uh, but we get a little Vera along the way uh, in doses until the '90s. Uh, have you guys read other comics with Vera in her in them, or did, is she someone you recognize at all? Not in our show. We've we've never covered. We've never had Vera pop up. Not yet. So this is kind of a treat to see her very first appearance. Mm. She's not in the Uncanny books often. It's uh, it's more the side books or or uh, books with you know again like the Defenders, where unless you're a huge Beast fan or a huge Defenders fan, you're not going to go read those uh, as a standard. They're not super popular. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of love her. I love uh, characters that make me look for them. And then you get to kind of tie it all together. Uh, so we then have uh, uh, Mr. Calvin Rankin uh, interrupting the date. 
Uh, oh, oh, and just a, a, a side note, Beast goes on to date, uh, we mentioned at the beginning, Trish Tilby and later uh, Abigail Brand, who's the head of S.W.O.R.D. Uh, I don't think he's had any other major romantic connections over the years. Can you guys think of any others? I can't because Trish was a big swath of time. And of course, one of his big to-dos was that he was not dateable because he was a beast. <laughs> So I feel like I can't remember him in other relationships other than the ones you mentioned. Yeah, I can't think of any either, but I do love him and Abigail Brad. I, I think they have a compelling connection. <laughs> yeah, they're an, they're an interesting. Uh, well, and didn't it end with Trish when Beast like pretended to be gay for attention for a couple yes. of years? Yeah. Wait, that happened? Yes. Mm -hmm. He oh pretended to be gay because he wanted the publicity, but we also kind of theorized that he's bisexual because he flirts with the male characters in these early issues too, particularly Kesar. <laughs> so yeah, you'll read it eventually. It's a it's a terrible a terrible uh, a story. Really awful, actually. When when Beast pretends to be gay. Uh, okay, so Calvin Rankin comes in, uh, they're, they're starting their date, and this guy Calvin, who's kind of been stalking Vera at the library a little bit, he really wants to go out with her, and he just gets all pissy and basically starts a fight with Beast and Iceman uh, because he wants Vera to be his, which is, you know, misogyny at its finest. Uh, but he shockingly picks up Beast's and Iceman's skills. He's able to adapt their mutant powers and use them uh, against them during this kind of fisticuffs. Uh, I mean, we have to comment on this kind of like male ownership of women, like she's mine, so I'll fight you for her. Uh, Heather, how you doing? No means no, Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away if I said no. Uh, the, the whole, the whole fight is kind of shocking though. Calvin kicks off his shoes and suddenly he's got big old feet and he's tossing ice around. Uh, what were your thoughts on this as you guys read this for the first time? Um, his face is so beet red. He is so angry. I don't know. That's the coloring I have. Is the coloring same in yours? He, yeah, he's pissed. He's yeah. And they show that in the coloring that, you know, that's what I noticed. I was just like, um, Either that or he got a really bad sunburn really quick. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, the other thing about this page is he takes off his shoes. He ditches his shoes so that he can bounce around more easily. Yeah. I mean, if my feet grew to twice the size, I'm going to need to kick my shoes off too, though. Yeah, because his, his feet are growing to be very large because they're growing to be the size of beasts. I like that he's a bit more casual. You know, he's wearing jeans and a white t-shirt and kind of a, a tan jacket versus the boys who are in suits and ties, which seems like a big contrast. Oh, because this this whole issue is great with the onomatopoeias. Oh, so good. We get wit and thick, thick and balk. <laughs> I mean, in one panel, we have wop, pow, wham, clunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we definitely do. Um, and it's interesting to see the, the construction workers, of course, come to the aid because they think that a mutant is attacking a bunch of fellow humans. And we definitely get the narrative that the X-Men cannot come out because humanity will not accept from them for what they are. And look at what they did to somebody that they thought was a mutant. Yeah, and reinforcing the fear of every queer person in the 60s and now, if I show my queerness in the wrong place, you know, a mob's gonna chase me down the street, uh, which we don't live with that all the time, but 
I, I would say that's alive and well even now if my husband and I are walking down the wrong street holding hands and you get the wrong quote or the wrong comment from somebody there's there's a fear there uh one of the reasons I can relate to these comics for many reasons absolutely well yeah. and of course worldwide I mean there's plenty of countries where it's illegal and you'll be killed so it's it's definitely you know this whole scene alive. gave me flashbacks to like my junior high and high school experience like going to religious schools they they definitely had a mob mentality about um homosexuals in their presence mm-hmm. uh as we jump onto page seven uh heather do you want to take over with uh mimics run from the mob and he's feeling himself now yeah he runs away and he's like hey i got these powers so i must have been fighting the x-men which is perfect because i've been looking for the x-men and now i need to find the rest of the x-men to get all their powers too because once he's not in front of people he loses whatever he's mimicking from them because you can see him losing his ice powers and things like that and he gets really upset he's like i have to find all the x-men again because i have to carry out my plan we often see the beast hopping around in bare feet like in most battles watching mimic hop around in gray socks is just not the same yeah somehow it's real weird. Yeah. Now, do we know can mimic mimic other superheroes' powers or only mutant powers? No, he can mimic other powers as well. He can it's even funny. mimic humans. Mm-hmm. Oh right, yes, yeah, because he could like yeah. be a good boxer or a good athlete or a smart. So yeah, be mutants. That's true. Yeah, because it just made me wonder, like, why is he so fixated on the X Men when the Avengers are a very public team that are also in New York, also the Fantastic Four? Like, you literally could go up to Avengers Mansion, which is on Fifth Avenue or whatever, and just stand by it and just get all charged up. Yeah, but then you have to do whatever you need to do, like within the vicinity of that tower, because as soon as he gets out of that radius. it's gone (laughs) so in their early team books uh, this is a good continuity deep dive moment here in their early team books stan and jack loved to bring in a character who would have all of the powers of everyone on the team so the avengers in the early days fought the super adaptoid if you guys know that character the x-men will actually fight him pretty soon in the next 10 issues or so we're going to see the super adaptoid uh the fantastic four would fight the super scroll who had all of their powers uh, and we'd see even other examples uh, of, of that in some of the smaller series where you have Thor fighting like the absorbing man who can take on the traits of whatever he touches. Um, that's gone on to be repeated over and over with obscure characters like Captain America's foe Dead Ringer or Spider-Man's foe Regent. Uh, and then you even see characters like Echo and Taskmaster who aren't mutants, but they can, if they see you do something, they've now inherited your skill, right? Uh, so we see these types of powers over and over. But I, this took me actually a, quite a while to research, and I'm probably missing some names, but just mutants from X-Men comics who have the ability to adapt other people's skills. Uh, you guys can probably name a few. Any any come to mind? Like, I can steal your powers for a while. Sync. Oh, I was just about Rogue. to say that. Well, yeah, Rogue. Just stop getting into my brain. <laughs> No, you took mine already. <laughs> the other major one is Hope Summers. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. We yeah. could do it a lot. But here's literally a list of other characters who can or have done the same thing. Uh, Eric Payne, who's the Jen Engineers uh, from Genosha, his his relative. Uh, Charmaine Grand from the Rogan Gambit series. Uh, Black Swan from Cable. Weapon Omega, uh, who was like the collective guy after the House of M. Uh, all the mutants lost their powers and he took them all on. 
Uh, there's a, a random character named uh, Cressida, or Cressida, uh, also called Avenger X. There's a character named Doppelganger. Uh, and even Megan and Copycat, the shapeshifters, can take on people's powers sometimes. So there's, there's actually a lot of people uh, who can do this. But in these early years, uh, we, we saw this repeated in all of the team books. So it was just time for the X-Men to have, you know, the villain who had their powers, because it's already happened in all the other books already. Uh, any thoughts on that before we continue? I, it, you know, there is a video game franchise that I love called Mortal Kombat. And I just remember you always have to get through the mirror match when you're going up the tower and you're fighting yourself. And then I was just like, wow, that's kind of this with Mimic, this fight is kind of like that, but even more so because it's everybody's powers wrapped into one. Well, and my, my youngest son, his favorite thing is Kirby from Nintendo. And Kirby is always, you know, sucking people up, stealing their powers and spitting them back out. So we see that in, uh, in other genres, even Super Smash Brothers. Uh, with, uh, with the Kirby character. So kind of a fun thing, but it's a little overdone. Uh, and in the X-Men now we have both Sync and Rogue, which seems redundant in some ways, but also it's amazing if you do the right stories, right? Ooh, remember Heroes on NBC? They had Siler. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. He was one of those guys. He'd like eat your brain. <laughs> eat your brain and steal your powers. Did you ever watch Heroes, Heather? I did not. I remember seeing previews for it. I was a little bit too young for it and I wasn't allowed to watch it quite yet. <laughs> it was like good for a season and then like tanked. Yeah. But yeah, good, good, good uh, recall there. Uh, okay, so back to the issue. Mimic uh, is now running into uh, Jean Grey who is out shopping and looking adorable in her yellow raincoat. Is, is her coat yellow in your books? No, it's green. actually green. Ooh, which is more fitting for Jean, right? She likes, yes. likes herself some green. Now I just want to compare every color palette. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, Jean bumps into Mimic as he's getting some coffee and he suddenly finds himself telekinetic because he wants the sugar and it lifts itself off the table and floats over. And he's like, oh, that must be Marvel Girl. And, uh, and he follows her back to the X-Mansion, which is, which is uh, crazy. Uh, thoughts on this scene? I want that. I want telekinetic powers specifically for these reasons, because I'm lazy and I just want to sit on the couch and be like, remote, come to me. <laughs> and then I can't do it because it's too much work. And I'll be like, Scott, <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> no, I, I, uh, I love this uh, discovering he has the power, you know, because it's, it's awesome to, I think it would be awesome to move things. I don't know about you guys. Oh, what a, what a weirdo for, for uh, creeping on Jean and stalking and following her. Do you guys agree or disagree with Mimic's thoughts when he says, nutty females, they're all alike? <laughs> agree. Hard agree. No, I'm joking. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, why, gosh, why is the writing like this back then? I know. I, we, we, we're in the 80s and it is a little problematic, but like this stuff, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we, we figure Stanley is, you know, he's writing for little teenage boys, but there's a couple issues where we've like, did his secretary like refuse his advances right before he sat down to write the script? And he's just real mad. Uh, Nutty Females is a little reminiscent of like nasty women, like during the Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh, I kind of I just want to own it, like hashtag Nutty Females. Like <laughs> I, I love myself some Nutty Females. Uh, nevertheless, she persisted, right? Like let's, uh, let's, let's keep it up. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, oh, sorry, I kind of want it to be a punk rock band. Oh, like yeah. it, it could be like, take the power back for that and like be badass with it. 
nutty females live on tour no all right how would I'm that play out on the, how would that play out on the roller derby rank heather i i think it would work <laughs> the nutty females yeah Ooh, this, this could be like a squirrel girl team squirrel girl and her nutty females oh that's cute yes <laughs> Yeah, uh, I could so, definitely be a roller derby team being named the Nutty Females. That'd be awesome. That's adorable, actually. Yeah, no, that's cute. Uh, okay, so they all make it back to the mansion. They are uh, telling Professor X that they have faced this threat. He says it's definitely not a mutant because Cerebro didn't ping, but turns out it is. So Mimic maybe is, I don't know, hiding his powers, or maybe they haven't activated quite right yet. Maybe Cerebro's on the fritz. Who knows? Yeah, Cerebro's a little buggy early on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when Cerebro was screaming during Juggernaut's attack, Heather? Wasn't that pleasant? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so Mimic comes up and just knocks on the front door. What happens? Well, he it says he wants to join the team. He said that he, you know, has these powers and he's ready to join them. And of course, they're all like, don't believe it, Professor. But the professor's like, yes, of course. Come on in. We'll make a bed for you. What but you like secretly, the professor's like, oh, my gosh, you guys, he's blocking me. I can't read his mind. We're in trouble. He might be a big threat. You guys, he might be a big threat. Uh, and he's there primarily to steal their powers. He wants mm -hmm. to accrue powers, which we're going to learn in a while. Now, we've brought this up on the podcast before, but this is the moment where it has to be emphasized. Things get real fucked up here for just a second. In a moment, Mimic grows Angel's wings, right? Mm -hmm. But back in X-Men number eight, that's when the X-Men went to the future, right? So we have Teen Angel in the future. While Teen Angel's in the future, he passes through the Black Vortex and his wings turn to fire and they stay that way. But before he gets sent back to the past, Kid Cable, like the younger version of Cable, uh, removes the fire wings and then he gets Mimic to come in and he cuts off Mimic's wings and grafts them onto Angel's back and then sends Angel back to the past. So now Mimic is growing a replica of his own future self's wings on Angel's back. Wow. That's wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. The X-Men has a lot of weird, but that's maybe the single weirdest thing about the X-Men. Oh, that's like, that is a weird back to the future in the, wow. That's crazy. I also want to know why his eyes don't, why his Cyclops eye beams don't shoot through his regular sunglasses. Like they're obviously not Ruby quartz. But he, cause he prepared for it. They are special sunglasses for it. Maybe. Because he knew that that was one of the powers he was going to get. Just like yeah. he is wearing, like he strapped the wings down so they couldn't tell that he was stealing their powers. Yeah. So, just because he calls them smoked sunglasses. Yeah. But I don't, I, it seems very specific if he, if he I don't somehow think, had access to Ruby quartz. I don't think we get the term Ruby quartz until uh, Claremont. Oh, got it. Uh, but this is one of those things where like a writer would have to write in and find a way for this to work. Like uh, maybe there was a sale on Ruby quartz sunglasses at the sunglass hut and Mimic just happened to get that pair. Right. <laughs> also, I love all the what all the like civil war weaponry. Yeah, what's up with that? We get cannons, cannonballs, pistols, yeah, all in the all in the decor. Why why? I think it's it, of the era. Oh, okay. Well, Professor X is a uh, veteran of the Korean War, which they now call the Sing Kong War in the comics. Uh, 
maybe he just has some memorabilia hanging around. It's like the good old days, you know, back when he got to telepathically experience the deaths of lots of soldiers. So who wouldn't, wouldn't want to remember all of that? <laughs> maybe there's uh, a tiny mutant that lives there that we don't know about yet. And that's his armory. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Those are his weapons. Yeah, they need an interior designer. That's, uh, that's apparent in this giant ass mansion. Um, so what do you guys think of Mimic's costume? He, he uh, goes in the other room, he sprouts his wings and he has designed a costume for himself. Uh, he is clearly very proud of it. Uh, who wants to describe Mimic's costume? I'll do it. So it is a full body suit that is primarily orange. And then he's got red briefs on and a giant red M that is scrawled across his chest. Oh my gosh. I thought it stood for mutant, but it stands for mimic. Yes, of course. <laughs> and then he's got the cool ski goggles that we talked about early earlier and a head sock. But what I think is really interesting is his wings are different. So they're dr drawn uh, more dark. So I'm guessing they're either black or black and white kind of feathers, which I appreciate because angels are super white. They, you could tell they're pure white and his are very dark. Orange and red with a giant ass M on your shirt is just not a good look for anyone. Uh, this might be my least favorite costume in the comics thus far. And that's saying something because we've had Toad and Mastermind and those two are not well dressed. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a little gaudy, but I feel like they get inspired by mimics because as you know, when they change their costumes coming up, they kind of are, go along this route of, of gaudy, weird colors and choices. So I would say he is fashion forward at this moment and he's going to inspire them all for their big new looks. <laughs> Heather, were you a fan of the costume? I mean, it's it's a choice. <laughs> yeah, so definitely was very excited about it. He was like, "Yeah, I did this myself, and this is what I'm gonna wear." And he he owns it. It doesn't mean it's good, but he definitely owns it. Angel says he didn't have those wings when he first got here, and Professor X replies, "No, obviously he can only mimic others when they draw near." You know, obviously, because Professor X has clearly had time to do like a power study. I don't know. He's 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 bossy. Yeah, this is like the Stan Lee moment that always got on my nerves as he makes every character have to say something, even if it's redundant, where they're like, how are we going to fight him? Oh, my God, he's so strong. It's impossible. Whatever. Like they, everybody has to get their one liner. in. Look out. He's ready to attack. Professor. It it is impossible. He's like a combination of all of us. It's just like we don't need we don't need everybody's opinion here. Now, Mimic uh, just adapted these powers, uh, particularly Professor X's and Cyclops's. Just now, the X Men have months and months and months of training, uh, and he kind of kicks their asses. He uses the the power sets and combos that you're not expecting. He's uh, he's holding up ice shields and zapping. Uh, you know, optic blasts and jumping up with wings in the air and landing with beast strength and blocking thoughts and projecting ideas. Uh, he's he's actually kind of an impressive combatant. Uh, the X-Men finally managed to knock him down uh, and he immediately just springs up, uh, grabs Marvel Girl and uh, runs for it. And so we have another Marvel Girl kidnapped storyline. Yay! Hey, Does this happen a lot? Like back then, I know it, it feels like it happens all the time in the 90s. It's it's happened a handful of times. Yeah. Too too much to have been, you know, like Angel got kidnapped once, but it's been mostly Jean. 
beast gets kidnapped once, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. they go after them in their amazing helicopter. Where has this helicopter been the whole time? There have been like seven helicopters. Professor X had so many helicopters. Obviously, this is before the Blackbird, but you know, I I love this this helicopter. He bought them on bulk at Costco. He got like a package deal on helicopters and there's a whole garage full of like what terribly colored. What color is the helicopter for you guys? It's bright fucking red for us. Oh, oh, it's, it's white. Pure white for us. Yeah, yeah. Look at look at this. Look at this. Uh, oh, yeah, wow. So we totally have, we have a white one. Yeah, um, we live in, in different universes. Yeah. Like, we're multiverse people. Speaking of Mortal Kombat, we call that when you're player two. So, you know, you've got the, the player one skin, which is the red, and we're the player two skin, which is white. Uh, so, Calvin or Mimic takes Gene back to his cave hideout and uh, she doesn't fight back. I kind of assume she's agreed to let herself get kidnapped so that the X-Men can, you know, learn more about this guy. That's that's my theory. Uh, but uh, Mimic shares his kind of dense, wordy origin story. Uh, Heather, are you willing to tell us uh, Mimic's origin story? Um, basically, his father was a scientist. And he always told... Um, mimic to stay out of his workshop and he was too curious and so one day when his dad was out he spilled a beaker and became the mimic and he got really good at sports and he got really good at school and his dad was like we have to hide you away before people figure out what's going on so we're going to go into this mine and we're going to figure out how to make it possible for you to have these you're like the powers forever. And then people come after them. And his dad is like, hey, we're going to explode the entrance of the cave so that to the mind so they can't come after us. And it killed him. And so, and so Mimic, it- has, Mimic has been living in this cave and he yeah. wants to find a way to get to the machine his dad built so that he can try to like maximize his powers, which uh, we're going to later learn that Mimic is extraordinarily bipolar, which is very easy to see when you read his uh, his appearances. He, in, in this issue, he ships from like super angry to like super euphoric, like multiple times. Uh, but he has this kind of megalomaniacal kind of uh, plot to destroy. But other times he's like the most supportive teammate ever. Uh, so the most ridiculous part of the origin to me is when the, the beaker gets dropped and he is saying out loud in the gas, Gas filling the air all around me. Can't stop breathing it in. Because, you know, <laughs> you're going to narrate as you choke. I feel like if I dropped a beaker, I would not get superpowers. I would end up with like a permanent urinary tract infection or something. I'd just be cursed for life with something awful. Uh, you know, you got to love comic books where you drop a random vial and end up with superpowers forever. I also love when after he tells the story, Gene goes, then you were that boy. Like, Ah, uh, Gene, follow along. <laughs> Sherlock. Uh, so we're gonna. I'm gonna do a, a, just a brief deep dive for Mimic. I'm gonna cover a lot, just really, really quickly. Uh, Mimic, we get his origins here. He's gonna come back into the X Men in just a few issues, uh, but he has joined a number of teams over over the years, including the X Men, the Dark X Men, which was run by Norman Osborn or the Green Goblin. 
the Brotherhood of Mutants, run by uh, Onslaught and Mystique at different times. He even joined Excalibur toward the end of the run. So if you read the later Excalibur issues, Mimic is part of the team. Uh, we saw him partnered with Weapon Omega for a long time, and he was an instructor at the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning for a while. Uh, so he has a long storied history with the X-Men, but he's not anybody's favorite character. He's kind of constantly in the background and forgotten about, and someone brings him back. He is currently living on Krakoa, uh, and I think they've even listed him as a potential replacement for the five if one of them needs to step out. So he helps with the resurrection protocols. Uh, he has fought the Hulk and the Avengers in their books before. So he's got kind of this long storied uh, history. Tell me some of your thoughts on the Mimic himself. Are you guys fans? Are you pretty aware of the character before this? I was not aware of him other than just this. I know I, I know this moment, but I don't know him from other moments in comics. And I don't even remember him in current day comics. I haven't seen him on Krakoa. So I don't know if I'm just missing him, but either way, didn't he? I think he was only mentioned in I think it's House of X number five. So in the original Hawksbox run under under Hickman, I think that's where they talk about Mimic being there. Now, did did he absorb the original five permanently somehow? Because I only remember him with those powers. Yeah. So there's multiple times when he loses his powers, but when they reassert, it always go back goes back to the original five X Men again. But he can also pull in other people's powers. He's he's had the whole strength. He's uh, he's had Sunspot's powers. Like he'll pull in other people's powers at times. But he tends to always carry the original fives with him. I don't think I could be Mimic's friend because I would just be like, "Dude, stop copying me!" <laughs> like all the time. Do something original once. <laughs> uh, Heather, what did you think of the Mimic as a villain? Um, uh, I. I think he makes a pretty decent villain because especially when they're all fighting him at the same time, they know how to like fight each other's powers individually. But once he starts using them, because he does really well like using them in um, connection with each other. And which I'm not entirely sure how he does right off the bat. But, <laughs> um, but I think he... He's a good villain and he even has like a decent backstory. And so I'm for it. We got, we got more origin for him than we did for the beast a few issues ago when it promised the, yeah. the beast's origin. Uh, so the, to sum up the next couple pages, just quickly, we re, we learned the X-Men's plan. I'm sorry. The mimic's plan was to get the X-Men back to the cave. He wants them nearby so he can take their powers and then unearth his father's machine, which again, he understands is going to, uh, uh, allow him to to hold powers permanently or keep his powers uh, in, in greater strength. Uh, the machine his father designed also has a giant M on it. Uh, so he clearly got his style decisions from from his dad. <laughs> Again, is uh, is awful. Uh, what happens when he tries to uh, activate the machine? Well, Cyclops blastoids the the lever. <laughs> the lava he tries to he tries to turn it on and zapped hold goes. it mimic <laughs> and um he takes on the x-men to basically defend himself i always found it was interesting that he really didn't want to fight them he just wanted to use them but they mm -hmm. want to fight him 
so he's constantly doing defensive maneuvers to kind of keep himself protected. And then he grabs the professor. He jumps into the machine. Yeah. And the professor is just like, it's okay, guys, let him do it. This is fine. This is, this is part of the plan. It's all good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he gets him into the machine. He turns the lever. And then what happens? Chandler. Well, um, it says, but then a startling unexpected turn of events occurs and the minute collapses and they don't know what has happened yet. So we are to be determined on what has really happened to the mimic. So it appears he's lost his powers. He kind of just collapses. And Professor X, once fucking again, just like erases his memories of the X-Men. He will go at all costs to keep his secret home for teenage boys and girls that he can you know, crush on and manipulate. Uh, a secret at all costs. Uh, it's yet another mind wipe. Uh, Heather, how did you like the conclusion to this issue? Well, you know, as always, Charles is a dick. Um, but I thought it was kind of satisfying because it wasn't even like the X-Men who did it. It was always his father's plan to be like, no, this was not meant to happen. So we're going to take it away. And so it was kind of poetic justice almost because he thought that his father wanted to help him you know take over the world basically and his dad was like no but we're gonna let you believe that so you go along with this and so i i don't love the you know professor x did a mind wipe because but at the same time it kind of will let him live a quote-unquote normal life now so i don't know Uh, We do not know how the professor knows that the machine is going to cancel Mimic's powers. He can't read that from Mimic's mind, uh, nor is he a machine medalist of any kind. Or Mm -hmm. or I I, I don't know how he knows, but, you know, thank goodness it worked out that way. My theory is he probably was, Professor X was friends with this dude's father. Because they're both, you know scholarly type scientists right right that is either donald or ronald rankin ronald rankin sounds a lot like ronald reagan Reagan. maybe it's don (laughs) i think it's donald rankin i think is his name (laughs) i so i'm wondering if the machine worked obviously because um you know as you said mimic always can retain the original five's powers and so maybe the machine Oh, you know, kind of overpowered him. He passes out, and because he's unconscious, his powers are not active. So therefore, everything kind of recedes, and they think it depowered him when, in fact, it did the job. He's going to hmm. be back in about nine issues with his powered back. So we'll see him shortly. I think he comes back in issue twenty-seven or twenty-eight. He'll be he'll be back pretty quickly if you uh, if you keep reading. Yeah, the sonic, the use of sonic powers in this issue was interesting because he uses Professor Xavier's telepathy to determine that the machine is inside the the cave. He goes, "Oh, I can sonically sense that the machine is." I'm like, "No, no, no, that's not how it works." But Professor X kind of Professor X like read the minds of the Sentinels, and Magneto can like also be telepathic back then and like send his astral body out of himself. It doesn't make any sense. He can also hypnotize people with his magnetic attraction. (laughs) Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's some problems back then. Uh, The other big thing that happened on these last few pages, which is subtle, but we see Cyclops verbalizing his concern about Jean almost for the first time. He's very, very worried about her as they rush in. 
But as soon as she's saved, he's he the others even notice like he's making no point to check on her or to to let her know that he has feelings in any way. Uh, Heather, what were your thoughts there about the 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 Cyclops' feelings? Is I actually did notice that as well. Um, because as soon as they get there and they get Gene back, um, he like takes his place behind the professor's wheelchair again, and the professor says, "Strain," or he thinks. Strange, Scott doesn't seem to want Marvel Girl to realize how desperately concerned about her he was. And, I mean, it goes back to the classic, they both think that it's unrequited love. But also, like, Scott's kind of being an idiot about it because he's kind of trying to be the martyr about it because he's like, well, I can't be with her as long as my eyes are a problem. And it's like, I mean, she knows what she's getting into, so why not let her decide? Because she's a big girl and she can take care of herself. But <laughs> but she kind of does the same thing because she's like, oh, well, he's in charge. I can't distract him. And it's like, just have a conversation, y'all. He also yells, Jean, levitate yourself. Hurry, girl. Every time they call her girl and female, it makes me insane. <laughs> but I also love how she's like, don't worry, Scotty. I can keep up with all of you easily. And it's like, yeah, you can. <laughs> Uh, Chandler and Chris, are you guys fans of Scott and Jean together? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I really like Scott and Jean and Wolverine together. I They're kind of in a thruple now in the comics, Heather. Scott, Jean, and Wolverine. Yeah, I, I dig that. Um, I, I find them a little boring i like scott and emma way more than scott and gene but i also i'm just not a big gene fan so you know i i i'm on the boat where i'm just like i don't really care about her so much but i love scott and emma together totally understood if we look back at this issue uh who was your star player out of this comic solo and what was your single favorite moment if you had to choose just one today uh my favorite moment i'll go first today is right at the end when they're fighting all of the X-Men rush in on Mimic and they're all standing together and he just generates a giant ice wall and tips it over on them, which is the best way that I've ever seen the X-Men defeated ever. He's like, shoom, plump. And then they're like, oh no. It made me, uh, despite you know their defenses. Uh, and when they're falling, the only thing that stops them from being crushed is Iceman generating a little ice stick to hold the wall up. So we get this delicious moment uh, with a whump of, uh, of Mimic defeating them with just one fell swoop. Uh, it made me happy. Uh, my star player in this issue is probably Vera Cantor. I, again, I have a huge affection for her and I love her sassiness at the library. How about for you guys? I'm gonna go, um, my, favorite, uh, <laughs> my favorite star player, I guess. <laughs> Because you took Vera, I'm going to take Zelda, you know, because mine was Vera, but Zelda was there too. So therefore I choose her. <laughs> we, can, we can both love Vera. It's okay. Yeah. And, you know, I would probably say my favorite moment. Oh gosh, there's just so many to choose from. I, I just want to go with the melodrama of Mimic's origin story. You know, because I just I just felt very like old school comic booky, made me nostalgic for this era, which I'm not as familiar with, which makes me kind of want to dive into it further. I need to listen to more Gray Malkin Lang. <laughs> we we get we get saucy and go deep every time. <laughs> <laughs> just the way I like it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I, I, my, my star player is Mimic because, and my favorite moment is basically when he just creams the X-Men do, using their powers better than them and in ways they never thought of before. And I just was like, go Mimic, you know, way to prove them how, how it can be done. And you don't have to overthink every move, Cyclops. Uh, and uh, Heather? Uh, I mean, my favorite moment was in the library because we stand a girl who puts the beast in his place. <laughs> but I, I mean, Vera is probably my star player, but for that reason, but beyond that, I actually wasn't mad at Scott this issue. Um, I thought he, I thought he did well in his role as, you know, the dep like Xavier's deputy basically, but like he, did really well keeping everyone together, keeping them in line and making sure that everyone was good. And so I kind of was a fan of that. So we'll cover this in more detail next time, but in the X-Men, even currently, we have a long history of writers taking the characters on a certain journey and then they stop, they're off the books, either planned or unplanned. And a new writer has to come and read everything that came before and take over with new plots and ideas with the same characters. And in X-Men 20, we get that for the first time. Uh, and we get a lot of returning old plot threads uh, coming back. So if we look at the cover next time, uh, let's get some of your initial reactions. Uh, it says our title is simply, I, Lucifer, enough said. Uh, also featuring the untold story of how Professor X lost the use of his legs. Uh, we can see oh. Blob and Eunice the Untouchable dressed in uh, X-Men uniforms there as the team fights them. What were some of your thoughts on uh, on this split cover with uh, you know Jean in her beautiful helmet in the middle? Oh, is that the Blob in an X-Men uniform? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Eunice oh. the Untouchable as well. Oh, oh my gosh, is that... Is that Magneto at the bottom? That's Lucifer. Oh, that's Lucifer. Okay. I was just like, he kind of looks like uh, Magneto, but if he wore like a baggy robe type of costume. Lucifer's like the thrift store version of Magneto. Totally. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he is the low cost cosplayer of Magneto for sure. <laughs> is that is that money bag like Marvel Girl's hat? She's like wearing it <laughs> on her head. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know what what she's got on her on her head. I guess that's Cerebro, probably. But I like how it's like uh, stethoscopes that she's listening to her own thoughts. It's interesting how it's a big giant money bag because if this uh, were to be in today's day and age, everything is like cryptocurrency. So how did they represent that <laughs> in today's day and age? It's very like um, Ducktales. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. They're outside of the bank stores with the big sack of money. <laughs> uh, Heather, who are, you, who are you most excited to see back? Blob, Eunice, or Lucifer? Uh, even though I going into this, I know that it's a lie. I'm kind of excited about Lucifer because I want to know how Professor X lost his legs, even though I know that it's not the truth. <laughs> no, it actually is the true story next oh, time. <laughs> Yeah, we get we get a permanent part of his origin. Uh, I'm I'm most excited for Blob. I'm a I'm a big uh, Blob fan. Out of those three, at least, he's he's my favorite of the three. Uh, uh, Chandler, Chris, what an esteemed honor to have you guys here. Uh, where can people find you on social media and give us a little teaser about what's coming up on X Reads? Keeping in mind that we tend to record about three weeks before we publish. Sure. <laughs> you, yeah. You may, you may advertise something that has already aired prior to this episode coming out. 
Yeah. So um, you can find us on social media. It's at X reads podcast. That's the letter X R E A D S podcast. You can find our show X reads and X-Men experience on your podcast platform of choice. And let's see coming up. We just did an interview with Bob Quinn, uh, the artist of way of X and cable reloaded. And he will um, either be published or will be shortly after. I don't quite know when his, his episode is going to go up. Um, and then we have uh, usually a Halloween special every year. The past few years, we covered Dracula's appearance uh, in um, Uncanny X-Men and then the Uncanny X-Men annual with Storm. And the next issue that we have to do for Halloween is What If? And it's What If Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires. Amazing. I'm so excited. Uh, and uh, Heather, where can people find you if they'd like? Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Heather underscore Beth underscore. And I always have something going on. <laughs> uh, and you guys can find Gray Malkin on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Gray Malkin Lane on Twitter. It's Gray Malkin P, P as in podcast. Uh, and I'm going to plug something personal today, which is not something I normally do. But for the last seven years, I've been working actively on uh, creating a documentary. Uh, I'm based out of central Utah. And in 1988, there was a man named Gordon Church who was really horribly killed in a terrible gay hate crime, uh, which resulted in a death penalty conviction. And it's this case that's kind of been forgotten in a world that only seems to remember Matthew Shepard uh, after a lot of really crazy long uh, film shoots and production deals. Uh, Dog Valley, which is the name of the film, is officially being released on iTunes on October 1st, which is around the time this episode will come out. So uh, we would adore your support. It's a life-changing film. It does cover a lot of grisly content, but we handle it with as much sensitivity as possible. Uh, I'm in the film. I'm behind the camera uh, the whole time. Uh, and it's a, it's kind of my life's work in a lot of ways. So I would love the support if you're willing to uh, give Dog Valley a preview. It has nothing to do with the X-Men except uh, me being the, uh, the, the tie-in between the two. Uh, well, Chandler and Chris, thank you again for being here. Uh, I look forward to uh, your upcoming work and, uh, and interfacing uh, again soon. Have a beautiful Sunday. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, that was so much fun, you guys. Loved it. You'll never forget the Mimic or Vera Cantor again. I guarantee it. <laughs> All right. Thanks. And thanks, Heather. Have a beautiful day, guys.